0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. So we turn our attention to, to 1 Corinthians 15, titled this message, Victory over death so i invite you to stand please i tell you this brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that as we unfold this text, that you will correct wrong belief. I pray, O oh God, as we unfold this text, that you will lead us into all truth. I pray, O oh God, for believers in this room to be encouraged. I pray for the downtrodden to be encouraged. I pray for those who are yet believing, who are even unbelieving, that you would open the eyes of their heart. Speak now to us as we study your word. In Christ's name, amen can be seated. So today is Palm Sunday. This is the day the church celebrates the entrance of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. He comes into Jerusalem and we, just a few days after that he's sentenced to death and he's sentenced to a cross where he dies, pays the penalty for our sin, he's buried, and three days later he raises from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. But this text is about the next Palm Sunday. It's about when Christ enters again. It's about what it is going to be like for us, his people, at, as he returns. It will be the final victory. The victory over death. Now here's the main idea I want us to see today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives his people the promise of a future bodily resurrection and final victory over death. Now, to understand this, let's begin in verse 3 of chapter 15. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Then in the following verses, 5 through 11, he gives an explanation about the resurrection. Then he comes to verse 12 and he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's speaking to the Corinthian church. Now Corinth is still a, still a city. It's in Greece. The Greeks were a polytheistic people. They believed all kinds of stuff. They were philosophers. And what happened, as still happens today, as Christianity took root in Corinth, they began to mix together they're false beliefs. And so Paul's confronting them here. There's a conclusion that they've come to, according to verse 17, that some of them are saying there's no resurrection from the dead. And he's saying if Christ is raised, that's a false idea. Now, they're saying in their minds, so let's try to understand the Corinthians. They're saying that even if the bodies of dead people are brought back to life, think Lazarus for a second, Lazarus brought back to life, but Lazarus still, he died. So they're saying if the bodies of dead people are brought back to life, they won't be capable of experiencing the everlasting immortal life to which Christians desire. So Paul begins here by partially agreeing with him. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So you're partly right. Flesh and blood's not gonna inherit the kingdom of God, but, but you're missing something here. Here's basically what a Greek would have said. This old earthly body needs to be stripped off so that our immortal soul can escape. Now, this idea is alive and well in this room. Now, I know this because I've stunned the last two services in what I'm about to say next. So let's imagine we're at a funeral. It's Aunt Susie's funeral, and she's right here in her casket, and it's open. And I'll walk around here, and i look down to Aunt Susie's body, and I say this, that's not Aunt Susie. According to 1 Corinthians 15, that is a false statement. See, it got quiet. Because you don't know what to do with that. Because you've been told your whole life, your soul just needs to throw the body off and move on to be with God. Well, that's what the Greeks believed. And he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So let's unfold the text and let's see this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Jesus was raised bodily from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives his people that are Christians the promise of a future bodily resurrection. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, the thing that's keeping my flesh from rotting and stinking is blood. As long as this thing pumps and the blood moves through my body, the flesh stays alive. The moment it stops, within a few minutes, your body will turn a different color. Within hours, it'll begin to decay. So it's a right statement to say flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor, he says, does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That which is declining and decaying, that which is getting older, it's wearing out, cannot inherit the imperishable. So unless a person receives a resurrected body of a different nature, they cannot receive the full blessings of what God has promised us in the gospel. So Paul says in verse 51, behold I tell you a mystery. Now, he's not saying behold I'm going to tell you a riddle and this is going to be hard to figure out. Here's what mystery means. Mystery is something that prior to this moment was not absolutely clear or had been hidden. Now, God's going to take what was clear, not clear or hidden, and he's going to make it known. He's going to make it known to us. So it's going to be revealed. So here it is. We shall not all sleep. So we're not all going to remain in the grave. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So in order for a human being to enter into God's imperishable kingdom, they must be changed change something radical must happen a radical transformation now how god's going to do this is in an instant just blink your eyes and be conscious of it that's how fast it's going to happen that's what twinkling of an eye means bang it's done now here's what's going to usher this in is the last trumpet now the last trumpet is announcing The next Palm Sunday, the entrance of the king, that Christ is coming. At the sound of that trumpet, something radical is going to happen. The trumpet will sound, and the dead, that is, those who are asleep, I reject soul sleep, and that's not what we're teaching here. You're just saying you're dead. The dead will be raised imperishable and we all shall be changed. So he's answering the question, what about the people who are still alive at the moment Jesus comes? He's saying we're all gonna be changed, not just the people who have died. I want you to imagine with me. So I'm 50, 52. Imagine I got a 10-year-old and I got an 80-year-old. Now, an 80-year-old's given more evidence of what it means to live in a perishable body. I'm I'm giving more evidence every day. So people walk up to me and say, oh, you've changed. Thank you. It's always a blessing when you hear that. But when you don't see a child who's 10 for a few years and you see them when they're 13, you walk up to them and say, oh, you've changed. That means they've developed, they've gotten older. Now listen, God's not teaching something like a 10-year-old becoming an adult. God is teaching something here that is radically gonna happen in an instant, and it's gonna happen to every believer, whether they're 10 years old, 52 years old, or 80 80 years old. This radical transformation is gonna happen in the twinkling of an eye. Is a quote. The mystery is not that the living and the dead will be on par with one another at the coming of Christ. The mystery is that both the living and the dead will undergo a radical transformation that results in incorruptibility and immortality. This perishable body, verse 53, must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now, here's what I find very interesting. When people got two different views about what happens to somebody when they die, they, they set this idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in opposition to 1 Corinthians 15. Who wrote 2 Corinthians? Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians? You think he's arguing with himself? No. He's giving you more explanation of what's happening here. Now, this is the text where he says, absent from the body. So, the soul, for this period of time until the trumpet, is present with the Lord. So, I don't, I don't think there's soul sleep, that somebody's soul is in the grave in this sleep state. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But there's going to be a great reuniting. Listen to verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now you see this word picture he's giving you? That this body right now that we're inhabiting is like a tent, it's temporary, but what God's going to give us is a building that's eternal. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we will not not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Swallowed up. Now he's going to come back to this image. I want you to hold that image in your mind. Swallowed up. And let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and here's what we want to see now. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives his people final victory over death. So when this radical change happens, when the perishable, the decaying, declining, puts on the imperishable, that which is not going to decay or decline, and the mortal, that, that which is going to die, puts on immortality, that which is never going to die, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now I like to fish, and sometimes you'd be on the lake and it'd be like a grasshopper or get out on the water or a frog and he's jiggling across the top of the water and then all of a sudden, that's about how fast it happens. Fish comes along, swallows it, gone. Instantly, gone. So here's what he's saying. Instantly, death is swallowed up, consumed in victory. So once. Once death is swallowed, there will be no trace of his existence left behind. Gone. Oh, death, where is your victory? So death will no longer have any more wins. It's not something that God's people are going to worry about. Something that's it's not something that's going to plague them any longer because the body will be changed in such a way that it no longer suffers death, it no longer wastes away, it's no longer bound by the influences of sin. It will be perfected in every way for the kingdom of God. So death Where's your victory? You don't win anymore. And then he asks this question. Oh, death, where is your sting? Here's what he's saying. Death will no longer have a lethal sting. You see, the resurrection of Christ does not simply overturn death's destructive force of decay. It prevails over death's deadly poison. Verse 56. The sting of death is what? Sin. Sin. And the power of sin is the law. And brothers and sisters, this is crucial that we understand this. And if you're not a Christian in this room, it's crucial that you understand this to understand Christianity. Death is not your problem. Sin is your problem. The wages of sin is, Adam's God said to Adam, you will surely, what? die because of their sin. We die because of sin. So the sting of death is sin. Now, how do we know that we sin? Because of the power of sin is the law, that the law of God shows us where we have transgressed and disobeyed God. It shows us who we are, that we are in fact sinners and that we have fallen short of the glory of God but Christ has come now look back at the beginning of chapter 15 for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died why for our sins You see, our sin was so profound, the only solution was the death of Christ. He died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. So if Christ has not been raised, look in verse 17. If there is no resurrection of Christ, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still, what? In your sins. Now, This has become a missing part of our creed, what we speak, what we say. There's a heavy emphasis on the cross of Christ, and we ought to emphasize the cross of Christ. But we don't emphasize the cross of Christ and leave off the resurrection. Because if there is no resurrection, we are still in our sins. Romans 4.25 says, he was raised for our justification. The final sealing of our salvation is in the resurrection of Christ. Now let's think about this text and think about Christ for a moment. Christ was imperishable and he became perishable. Christ was immortal and he took on mortality. He submitted himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And on the cross, he took the sting of sin. And he made a victorious statement on the cross. It is what? That means he's, he's paid it. He's taken it in full. Now, how could he do that? because the law did not condemn Christ. Christ kept the law perfectly. He fulfilled the law on our behalf and he broke the power so that we through Christ might be saved. Now, with the thought in our mind that Christ has absorbed the sting on the basis of his death and resurrection, and he has addressed the problem of human sin and the law. we got to understand that the victory comes through Jesus Christ, not simply because he died, but because he was raised from the dead, and that when we are united to Christ, we're going to be resurrected like him. I want you to turn with me to Romans, just the next book to your left. I'll let you read verses seven and twelve on your own. Let's let's just read verses twenty four and twenty five. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a very strong statement here. If you have never come to the point to say, "Wretched man that I am, or wretched woman that I am," you're not a Christian. Until you come to understand that your sin is your problem, that your sin results in death, until you come to understand that your sin has separated from you from God, you don't understand nor see the need for Christ. There's this false idea out here that Jesus died to make you better. No, Jesus died to set you free from the power of sin and death. And you must first come to understand, wretched person that I am, sinful person that I am. Then he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, this is Paul speaking. He's a follower of Jesus. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? You as wore out as I am. Struggles with sin and death that surround us and struggles with your own flesh. Ever asked this question? How am I ever going to be set free from this? How's this ever going to end? Look at the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's where the victory's coming. The victory is is through the resurrection of Christ. So what then? Let me set the stage before I ask the question. If today is only about a theological discussion, and some of you go, oh, "Well, man, this is pretty deep, I'm not sure I'm with you. Okay, we're glad to talk with you and go further. But but, but listen, Here's one of the reasons Christianity is dying and one of the reasons people aren't walking with Jesus is because they want to play in the shallow end of the pool and they don't want to deal with stuff like this. But the purpose of this sermon is to not make you smarter so you can win a theological debate about death. That's not Paul's goal. His goal is very practical. He's basically answering my question. Is the promise of future bodily resurrection and final victory over death having a profound influence on how we are living today? Is this truth affecting your life? Now, I'm going to be straightforward. As a pastor who lives in this community, and I'm not picking on you individually, with churches on every street corner, If I'm to ask this question in Gastonia, North Carolina, is the promise of a future bodily resurrection and final victory over death having a profound influence on how people are living? The answer is no. And there's no distinguishable difference between most people who claim to be Christians and everybody else. Basically, here's the way the world's living. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. There are more people driven by their bucket list than Jesus, and that's the truth. There is more than this. Now, it's not that we go to some monastery or commune and meditate on the coming of Jesus. Here's what he says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, siblings quite literally, My beloved brothers and sisters, therefore, because there's a bodily resurrection coming and a final victory over death, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he's asking, he's answering this question: Is it worth it? Is Christianity even real? I'm gonna ask that question hard next Sunday. Is this real? Do we just get together to make Belts some money so they could sell Christmas Easter outfits? I mean, is that what we're doing? Is this the real thing? I and mean, what's the basis of the reality? The basis of the reality is the resurrection of Christ. Look in verse fourteen of First Corinthians. He says, "If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and our faith is in vain." That'll consume me next Sunday morning. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who fallen asleep. So he's saying, He's saying Christ has been raised and something else coming. Victory's coming. So what does that mean for you? What does it mean for us? Be steadfast. It means keep moving. So, many of you don't know who he is. Our founding pastor, his name is M.O. Owens. He's 105. He preached till he was 100. In his late 90s, we were at lunch and we were talking and I said, "Emma, just tell me how, tell me how you've kept moving. He, he said, just that. You keep moving. And he went on to theologically explained to me basically this text that I'm here obviously God's got a plan so I keep moving he said here's what I find all of my friends that sat down died it's not that I'm afraid of death but I'm here I'm here and until I die I'm going to keep moving be steadfast be immovable. Now here's how you become immovable. You know what you believe, brothers and sisters? This has to do with your faith that you're not just owning the new thing that comes over Twitter or Facebook. The next book that comes out. Ooh, we we hold to the faith once and for all handed down to the saints. What God has revealed to us in his word, we don't move from that. We're immovable. And that what our world wants us right now, it wants us to move and to move quickly. And if you don't move, then you're, then, you're, then you're whatever, intolerant. We're immovable is what we are. Now while we do this, we are abounding. That means overflowing in the work of the Lord. Now here's what most of you do. Let's say this little box right here represents church. For a lot of you, that's work in the Lord. And this is the rest of your life. And God doesn't have anything to do with that. So you come over here and you do the work of the Lord, make yourself feel better. And you say things like this to me, you know, preacher don't have too much expectation on us. Or you say this, I'd really love to do what you do. Why? Why? Is your work not God ordained? Did God not make you the way he made you to do what you do? What if we were all in vocational ministry? I got one answer. We'd all be poor because nobody would be making any money. But we all, listen to this, we all abound in the work of the Lord. Whatever you do, wherever you go, Whatever your job is, wherever your home is, however big your family is, or whether you're an empty nester, or you're just getting started, you're single. You abound in the work of the Lord. Knowing this, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It's not empty. That God has purpose in and through your life. Now, how do I know there's purpose? Christ is risen. And I just want to say it plain and straight. If Christ is not risen, we're all fools. All of us. But if Christ is risen, and he is, it changes everything. Everything. It changes everything about your life. Not just some things, it changes everything. And that's Paul's point here. That there's something radical Coming because something radical has already happened. That he has already brought the dead to life. That he has redeemed you. You are born again, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ. And that new life is coursing through you. And one day you're gonna, you're gonna get a new one of these. And it isn't gonna plague you anymore. It's gonna carry you forever. And hear me. You're going to know me, and I'm going to know you. You know how I know that? Because they knew who Jesus was. There's a bodily resurrection coming. Until that day, we press on. Let's pray. Lord, my plea is for your people. They live in a world that you understand better than us, but they live in a world to where everything about our faith is being questioned. We live in a materialistic, rational world that says, how could you trust in something like this? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth and you made yourself known. We're not trusting in a myth. We're trusting in what happened. You said it would happen, it happened. And you say something is yet to come. And because we know and we trust in what has taken place in the resurrection, we we hope in what is yet to come. And it motivates us, the wind fills ourselves by the power of the Spirit to press on. So, Lord, I plead for your people that they'll press on. And I pray for those who are yet believing who still find themselves in unbelief, I pray that they will at a minimum consider the claims of Christ, that they will pursue it beyond this moment and ask, is this really true? Oh God, do a work that only you can do. Thank you for the evidence of that work in the life of this church. pray this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.